following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
this moment in time is all we have. We remember the past. We look forward to the future. But all we have is this moment in time. And this moment in time is impacted by everything we've done in the past and but and by what we see in our future for tomorrow. Life is interconnected. You often imagine that you can take actions, that you can say things or do things, and it's simply in the present and then it's gone. Wrong. Everything matters. Everything is connected. And all of that connectedness weaves before God the character of our life. And we will be weighed in the balance. And Jesus said, every man is going to have to answer for what he has done in this life. It's very sobering. Your life is not a random, momentary moment. It matters. It is connected. And the decisions that you are making today, right now, about Jesus matter for eternity. I'm going to read for you a passage to open from James, the fourth chapter. This is Pastor James. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. James, the fourth chapter. I'll begin with verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the Scriptures say God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now you recognize that this entire portion that I've shared with you out of James the fourth chapter is not speaking about a momentary instance in your life. He's addressing the interconnectedness between your past, your present, and your future. Your life is linear, and God has the ability to know the beginning of your life and the end of your life, and you weave together 
the fabric of those moments. And they have eternal consequences. When we look at this issue of submission, there is another word that immediately comes to my mind, and that is to believe. Now, in the English language, to believe usually means to intellectually agree with some statement or action. But in Scripture, in the Greek, to believe does not mean the same. To believe means to stay upon, to rest upon, to not move from, but to absolutely commit our way unto the Lord. That is, to believe on the Lord. That's why he says, you adulterous people. That is, you said you would believe in the Lord Jesus, but now you have changed your actions and they reflect your love of the world of the entertainment, of the activity, of the searching after money, all the things that worldly people do. Remember Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you. What things? Shelter, transportation, clothing, food, things the world runs after. He said, don't run after those things. Now, if you're going to believe Jesus, the whole focus of your heart and the whole focus of your life will be on kingdom of God. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus Christ came preaching a baptism of fire and the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the announcement that the kingdom of God was now among us. And at the cross, it was fully among us. Oh, not heaven yet, but the presence of the Holy Spirit and the call to be utterly given over to the work of the kingdom of God. Not our own kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, he goes on and say, you're double-minded. What's he mean? He means you'll go to church on a Saturday or a Sunday, and then you'll go live like the world the rest of the week. Like the man I know who chews his tobacco. A filthy habit. I've confronted him about that. And he said, my pastor smokes a cigar. What's the difference? Well, I said, there's no difference. They're both addictions and they're both demonic. The Lord wants a clean house. But we want a dirty house, double-minded. We want to give ourselves to the entertainment and to the pride and to the ambition of this world. God calls us out, double-minded. To believe is to submit to Jesus. To believe on the Lord is to submit to him. And this week I've been speaking to you about Abram or Abraham. He had to learn how to submit to the Lord or he could not be used by the Lord. 
and it was a slow and torturous process. It was not an easy process for Abraham. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, one of the most sophisticated places on the earth at that time. His father, Terah, meaning delay, he was told, leave your daddy behind, leave your family behind, but Abram didn't do that. He brought his family with him, his nephew, Lot, and daddy. And Terah means delay. And they moved to a place called Haran, which means parched. Why? Because he was not obeying. He was not submitting. He had to be taught how to submit to God. All of us have to be taught how to submit to God. This process is made much easier when we begin to closely examine our past, understand the decisions we're making today, and then look to the future. This is how I'm going to walk with clear determination. One dear brother said to me, I've made all the decisions I'm ever going to make in my life. I said, what do you mean? He said, I have decided to follow, to obey, to submit to Jesus Christ. I will not turn from that. Well, I said, you're right. I've done the same. My course is set. It will mean the loss of family and friends, perhaps. It will mean loss of success, perhaps. It will mean humbling myself before God constantly. Yes. There are consequences to our actions every moment. And you have to decide, will you submit to God? Now, I recognize it's not very American to submit to anybody for any reason. Wives don't want to submit to their husbands. Husbands, you don't want to love your wife like yourself. Grudges, bitterness, anger, fighting quarreling, all of wickedness, meaning I will not submit to God. Now, Abraham has Lot with him, his nephew. Verse 1 of chapter 13, Genesis 13, verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife, and everything he had, he'd just been kicked out of Egypt, and Lot went with him. Now Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, and in silver, and in gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, meaning house of bread, to the place between Bethel and Ai, which meant a house of wreck of destruction. He went there, and he built an altar, and he called upon the Lord. And there was no answer. 
Now, please understand, there are reasons that govern our relationship with God and that will determine whether or not he will answer when we call upon him. Sometimes I've spoken with people, and sometimes I have felt this way, that it seems hopeless to call upon the name of the Lord because he won't answer me. Well, there's a reason why God doesn't answer. Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, oh, now you know why God won't answer Abram, because he still hasn't left his family behind. He was commanded, go to the land of Canaan and leave your family behind. Leave your people behind. Verse 6. The land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between our herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Lot had a choice to make. Was he going to go and live his own life? Or was he going to utterly, totally, and completely submit to Abram, who had been called by God? Lot was not called by God. So if Lot is going to walk with God, he's going to have to walk under the umbrella of Abram. Now, Abram was told, leave Lot behind. Leave your father behind. Leave your family behind. There was a reason for that. They were unwilling to come under Abram's authority. They wanted to live their life, but still have the benefits of being close to Abram. Lot had the option of saying to Abram, Look, all of my sheep, all of my cattle, all of my everything I have, I give to you, Abram. Let me just be in your household. Let me be a son to you. He had that option. He chose not to humble his heart. Please hear me when I say this to you. We all have options presented to us day after day after day. Those options and the decisions we make regarding them have a profound impact on where we will spend eternity either with the Lord or in hell. Your decisions matter. Every decision matters. There is no inconsequential decision. They are all connected to all the other decisions you've made, and they shape and form the fabric of your life. They determine your character. My dad, who was a very devout, Christian, a lay pastor. He always would say to me when I was a boy, Raymond, there's only one thing you can take with you if you go to heaven. And there's only one thing you can take with you if you go to hell. 
I said, what's that, Daddy? He said, your character. You are forming your character, Raymond, by the decisions you make each day. When you decide to be angry with me or mother, when you decide to be angry with your brothers, when you fight and quarrel, you are making decisions for eternity that shape the fabric of your character. It was very sobering to me. Now Lot chose to go his own way. He looked up and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan. It was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. Remember, they just come up out of Egypt. And Lot, and I suspect very strongly his wife, wanted the lifestyle of Egypt did not want this wandering lifestyle. Where was Abram going to live? Nobody knew. But Lot and his wife wanted to have a home. They didn't want to be wanderers. They didn't want to share in what Abram was doing. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. That was the best part of the land. It was well watered. It was beautiful. There were trees and streams. It was beautiful. He chose that for himself. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Now we're told in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that Lot was a righteous man and that his soul was deeply grieved by the wickedness of Sodom. But he did not flee from Sodom. To please his wife, I suspect, perhaps his daughters, perhaps his own heart. He longed for the city. And so he went to the city. And I'm going to show you in just a moment, not only did they move close to Sodom, but the next step in the adventure was they moved into Sodom, and we find Lot sitting at the gateway of Sodom as one of the ruling elders of the city. You would never have found Abram sitting in Sodom among that wickedness. Lot made his choice. I'll show you where it took him. We come back to Abram. This is the 13th chapter of Genesis, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, well, wait a minute. He didn't build an altar. He didn't call on the name of the Lord. The Lord simply came to him and began to speak his promises once more to Abram's heart. Why wouldn't God answer him earlier? Because he still had his family with him. And God was not going to speak to Abram again until Abram was by himself or his whole family was under his submission 
and under his authority. He said, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre, meaning strength. And he built an altar to the Lord. He left the in-between place between the house of bread, Bethel, and Ai, the house of destruction. He's made a decision to submit to the Lord. Abram's decision to submit was a step-by-step process. It is for all of us. I was grieved this morning in my personal prayer time. Confessing to the Lord, it's taken far too much time and energy to learn to submit to you, O Lord. I wish I could have done it quickly. But I wasn't mature enough to. And I never was told I needed to. I never heard it preached. I never heard it taught. What I'm sharing with you, I've never heard another preach. It's a word that has to go forth in this land. Will you or will you not believe on the Lord? Will or will you not submit unto God? To believe is to submit. To submit is to believe. They are interchangeable words. Now we come to chapter 14 of this sad story of of Abram. Kings came together, I'm sure not by accident, and they swept down on all of the cities of the area, the countries of the area, and they captured them, a mighty force, a mighty army, five kings. And they sweep through Sodom and Gomorrah. They take everybody captive and they steal all their goods. They carried off Abram's nephew Lot and all of his possessions since he was living in Sodom. In Sodom. He moved into Sodom and now he's under the rule of the devil where the devil can sweep through and take him captive and his whole family. One person escaped, and they came to Abram, and they reported to him exactly what had happened. And Abram heard this. He had 318 men trained with the sword. Also, he had other friends, Eshcol and Arnor. They were allied with Abram, and they pursued this army. And he, he recovered all the goods. And he recovered his relatives. And he delivered Lot with all of his possessions. Together with the women and the children. Everyone was saved by this man of God. Who had submitted totally unto the Lord. And was now walking in profound and powerful obedience to God. 
This is when Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, brought out bread and wine and blessed Abraham with communion. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tithe, a tenth, of everything that he had saved. King of Sodom said to Abram, Just give me the people. You can keep all the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God, most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. Let them have their share. Abram is not going to profit from this war. And he's not going to be indebted to the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to be indebted for money. Let it be clearly and plainly heard. Only that which comes from the hand of the Lord will prosper a man or a woman. It will not be our our warfare. It will be always from the hand of God. Chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward, or I am your payment. Trust me. Abram could well be afraid. These mighty kings that he had so soundly defeated could go back, reconstitute their armies, and sweep through again, but this time first take Abram out. The Lord says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Not your army, not your trained men. I am your shield, your defender. But now Abram speaks to the Lord about what is on his heart. He's been told he's going to inherit all of this land, but he's married to a precious woman that he's tried to give away to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh kicked him out of Egypt because of it. And he's now with Sarai again, and she is barren. She cannot get pregnant. Abram says, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You see, Abram is still not standing by faith. He is submitted to God, but not entirely. He still doubts God. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars, 
if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. Now notice verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He didn't credit him something that he didn't have. Abraham had a belief in the Almighty God, and he now was clear, based on the word of God to him, that he would utterly submit to this living God. He was going to believe him. He was going to submit to him. And he now knew that he would have a child. So God now goes one step further. He says to him, and this is so unusual and so beautiful. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldees. Just so you know who I am, Abram. The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, and he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, and all the others, Lord, you gave it to him. When I read this, my heart is deeply stirred. The living God of heaven was willing to take these animal parts and to walk in the midst between them. This was an ancient covenant. God walked between these animals in the blood shed by these animals. Literally, he was saying, this is what will happen to me, God Almighty, if I do not keep my covenant with you, Abraham. That God would so lower himself to make a covenant with Abram. To assure Abram that his belief 
and his trust and his submission to the Almighty God would be totally worthwhile. He made that same covenant with you and with me. But instead of animals and the blood being spilled, his son's blood was spilled and his son died. Jesus was crucified and his blood was shed as a seal on the covenant of salvation for those who would submit to God for those who would believe in him, for those who would obey him, who would walk clean by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the blood of Jesus, for those who would actually walk this out. But now we come to one of the saddest chapters in Scripture. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. I wonder if they found that beautiful maidservant in Egypt. I wonder if she was one given by Pharaoh. Remember, every action has a reaction. Every action, every decision matters. Had Abraham stayed in the land he was supposed to remain in, had he not gone to Egypt, he probably would not have had Hagar. And much pain would have been averted. Much pain comes into our lives because of past choices and decisions that either have a direct connection or incline our heart one way or the other. That's why submission to God is so vital. That in the submission of our hearts to God, we would be spared the future pain of wrong decisions, of wickedness. She said to Abram, that is Sarai, the Lord has kept me from having children. She's right. It was the Lord who sealed up her womb. The Lord sealed up the womb of Sarai as a test for her and for Abram to see if they would believe in the name of the Lord and if they would wait upon the Lord, if they would submit to the Lord, if they would believe his word to them. And now... Abram's wife is leading him astray and saying, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This was not uncommon in that day in the pagan culture. And now she is following the practice of the pagan world. I wonder where she learned this. Abram agreed. To what Sarai said. So Abraham had had been living in Cana ten years. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. 
How do you sleep with an Egyptian maidservant in order to be productive in the cause in which God has called you? God is not moving fast enough in my life. I don't have what I want. I'm going to go get it myself. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be productive in my life. It's my life. No, it's not. It's God's life. And Satan, through your wife, through your husband, through your children, through a boss, through a friend, will do everything they can to pull you aside from submission to God. And if you submit to your wife or husband, children, anyone who comes against the word of the Lord to you, the result will be great anguish and great pain. I know from experience. Isaiah 50 verses 10 and 11 talks about not lighting your own fire. That if you go out as you walk in darkness and don't know what to do and what course to take, you go out and begin to create for yourself what you desire with your wisdom and your power, with your money and your prestige. Isaiah 50 says you will lie down in torment. When Hagar became the wife and she became pregnant, she began to act in a manner that caused great pain in the family. She despised. She despised. Sarai. She now was the wife, and Sarai should serve her. And Sarai goes to Abram and says, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. No, he is not responsible. Sarai, you are responsible because you would not submit to the Lord, and you led your husband astray. Yes, he's responsible. But it's Sarai's problem. She said, I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. What did you expect, lady? May the Lord judge between you and me. No, Sarai, you do not want the Lord to judge between the two of you. You want to humble your heart and repent for the sin against your husband and against Almighty God. Abraham now makes another mistake. Instead of being the man, he turns into a wimp, and he says, Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so that she fled from her. She may have beaten her. I don't know what she did. It would have been customary in that day to beat someone who misbehaved in this manner. So she ran away. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And the Lord said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. 
The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that you will be too numerous to count. You are now with child. You will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Wow. All the result of Sarai's sin. I want you to hear me clearly, please. You can make decisions out of your own selfishness that will have a profound impact in the lives of other people and create great destruction in their lives, cause great pain and anguish in someone else's life because of your selfishness, your nastiness, your harsh words, your grumbling, your dissatisfaction, your nagging your husband, or criticizing your wife, or speaking to others in a manner that you should not speak, and taking actions defensively for yourself that will result in destruction in the lives of other people, and God will hold you accountable for that. So now she's going to give birth to a son, who's going to be a donkey of a man, stubborn, rebellious. She gives God a name. She says, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well was called Berir Lahe Rohai. It means, well of the living one who sees me. God sees you. He knows who you are. Your actions have consequences. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now for the next 13 years, God will not speak to Abram. I cannot imagine having to live for 13 years without God speaking to me. This was a part of Abram's punishment. He had submitted unto the Lord and he had said, Yes, but then he rose up and he did his own deal without seeking the counsel of God, taking this beautiful woman as his wife against the will of God that would bring sadness and brokenness both to his heart, to Sarai's heart, to their marriage. Because now they live wonky a rebellious, stubborn young man who does not know the word obedience, who will not submit to the Almighty God. Some of you have birthed Ishmael's, 
maybe not a son or a daughter, but you've birthed Ishmael's with the job you've chosen, with the place you've chosen to live. The decisions you are making now, day by day, will be Ishmael decisions in your life. These decisions will lead you astray. They will cause you to act in such a manner that God will not speak with you again, perhaps for 13 years. Some of you say to me, No, God doesn't speak with me. There's only one reason God would not speak with you. That's because you have refused to submit to him, and you've taken actions and you've done things that have separated your heart from God. Oh, you may still be very religious, but you walk in your sin, in your lies, in your pornography, your fornication, your ambition, your hunger for money. You're destroying your life with your lust for things, for money, for security. Your security is found, as God said, Abram, I am your shield. I am your security. Will you trust me? And he said, yes. And it was counted to him as righteousness. But now he's left that position. And he's grieved God. And God's not talking to him anymore. That's why Pastor James says, Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up. Are you willing to do this, that God will come and once more begin to speak with you and open before you the path that he has planned for you? Will you or will you not submit and believe in the Almighty God? Or will you continue in your lukewarm, cold-hearted, half-hearted, double-minded obedience to God? being a cultural Christian, but never really coming clean with God. Almighty God, I plead your mercy for each person listening to this broadcast, that they would believe on you, the Son of the living God, that they would not be double-minded, that they would utterly submit themselves to you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Would you break through? Would you bring revival in the heart of every person listening today? Would you cause those walking clean to rejoice in you, mighty God? And would you cause those who are walking yet in double-mindedness to weep and wail before you? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. The National Prayer Chapel meets as a house church, and you're welcome to come. We can hold up to 50 or 60 people in our home. 
we'd love to have you come. But only if you're willing to submit to the Almighty God of Heaven and set a course of obedience and be willing to be accountable, be willing to share, be willing to pray, be willing to seek the face of God with all your heart, if that's you, then come. You can call me at 703-489-1785. Leave a message if I don't answer. And I'll give you directions for how to come to my home. Again, call 703-489-1785. Now, we're coming to the end of the month. And again, I need your help to cover this radio bill. Would you help me? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you for joining me today. Invite a friend to listen to this broadcast. Tomorrow will be a very special sermon, not by me, but by a godly man. Tune in tomorrow at 1. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.